Welcome back, listeners, to Murder at Land Between the Lakes. As I'm sure you have been doing as well, we have been preparing for and figuring out our new normal situation for this time period of the coronavirus. Being from near New York City, there's a lot of transition with online working and school for the next several weeks and families figuring out how this is going to work for each of them individually. And we are still figuring it out. We pray that all of you listening are in safe and healthy environments and figuring out how to make the most of this situation for you and your families while we all work together to try to keep this virus under control. Yes, yeah, so we're all working remotely. And like Lainey said, our kids are all out for several weeks. Actually, two of my kids are finished for the year. So they're going to be working, um, doing school from home. So we're all, you know, kind of quarantined at home for the next, you know, for the foreseeable future, actually. And, yeah. and um, so hope everyone's staying safe and feels well. And, you know, just um, thank you all for listening in. And we hope maybe we can keep you all entertained at home. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. So that said, we've also been digging into two areas of the case recently. So, you know, we've really about DNA and also going through published articles and documentation from this case, um, because there is quite a bit of it. As we continue to work towards identifying the killer or killers of Carla and Vicky, these are two sources of information that are pretty much indisputable. First off, DNA. It can be used to identify criminals and can also be used to exonerate potential suspects. Um, and it's obviously not as easy as waving a magic wand or blue light and discovering, testing, and identifying a subject quickly. In order to test for DNA, the lab must examine the evidence to determine if there is viable DNA evidence to test. However, not all labs are the same, and some may find DNA testable, while others may be found the DNA to be untestable by other labs. So there's, there's definitely differences in the way that labs examine evidence to find testable DNA. One lab may use a process that requires taking a sample of DNA from the proposed perpetrator or matching it to a current national database of current convicted criminals that was started back in 1980 called the Combined DNA Index System, or CODIS. You may have heard that before. While another lab, such as Parabon Nano Labs, uses a totally different approach. Parabon Nano Labs can actually take DNA and produce a phenotyping report, which will provide genetic characteristics such as eye color, skin color, hair color, face morph morphology, and ancestry to help identify the culprit from these attributes matched to suspects in the case. We believe this type of testing may be very beneficial to Carla and Vicky's case to help identify as well as rule out the killer or killers. After 40 years, the family and community deserve to know the truth.
Hi, listeners. So if you've already caught up on all of Murder at Land Between the Lakes and you're still stuck at home and you're looking for a great read, may we recommend Garden State Parkway Murders, written by our friend and attorney, author, and photographer Christian Barth. The Garden State Parkway Murders is the true story of the unsolved murders of Elizabeth Perry and Susan Davis, college friends who were brutally knifed to death alongside milepost 31.9 of the Garden State Parkway during the early hours of May 30th, 1969. Writing for Psychology Today, Dr. Katherine Ramsland, a nationally renowned forensic psychologist and co-executive producer of the forthcoming show Murder House Flip, premiering April 6th on the QB Network, she called the Garden State Parkway Murders a meticulously researched book. In his popular Jersey Shore Nightbeat blog, Ocean City historian William Kelly wrote, seldom is a book published that can really make a difference, and this one can. Christian Barth has assembled the definitive book on the case of the co-ed's murders on the Garden State Parkway. And also, readers have described the book as an excellent history of the killings of the 1960s, unforgettable, a page-turner, and chilling true crime. The Garden State Parkway murders is presently ranked number one in Amazon Kindle sales in the forensic psychology category. Among the suspects in this fascinating cold case were infamous serial killers, Ted Bundy and Gerald Stano, who were living within hours drive from the murders at the time they occurred. They resided next to one another for a time on Florida's death row and implied their involvement in the murders. Mark Thomas, a former nationally known KKK leader, white supremacist, and boyhood acquaintance of Gerald Stano, was also a person of interest in the slaying. The Garden State Parkway Murders is the first book to explore, explore the fascinating intersection between these three notorious figures who lived within four miles from one another in the spring of 1969. So if you're interested in purchasing this book, you can purchase it on Amazon.com. So one of the questions we keep getting asked over and over is, is there usable DNA in this case to be tested? And that's what we want to know as well. Is there usable DNA? And so we talked to a reliable source and they told us that they met with a 23rd District Judicial Task Force a few years ago and the former Stewart County Sheriff David Hicks was working for the task force at the time and Hicks and the Dover Chief of Police, Kim Wallace, and other officers were in attendance there. The source asked Hicks, point blank, do you have DNA in this case? And Hicks responded, yes. The source then asked him, so there is DNA in this case? DNA you can use. Hicks definitely told the source yes for a second time. And to talk about articles and documentation that we've been digging into, we found an article that was published in the Stewart Houston Times in 2013. Sheriff Derek Wyatt said, contrary to popular belief, there is plenty of physical evidence left from the crime, all in TBI storage. 
He said he had already inquired as to the cost of doing DNA testing on the evidence, and it was way too expensive for the county. And I know in past episodes that we've talked about whether or not the girls had been sexually assaulted or not during their murder. And the general consensus was that they had not, simply because they had been left with their clothes mostly intact. But you know, Lainey, after further review of the autopsies, both pathology reports show that sperm samples were taken or found. It's actually very confusing the way that it's worded, and the autopsy report is a little blurry. Um, We've asked for a professional opinion, and we're hoping to get that complete report back soon. But if the sperm is available, it should most certainly contain DNA, right? Well, I, you would think. And the, and the next two questions you might be asking are, was the sperm that was revealed on the autopsy found on the clothing or on the girl's bodies? And were any results given? So, yeah, stay tuned to see if our expert weighs in or if we find out more about this new detail. Also, as we were digging into articles we have been reviewing on this case, we've come across some very interesting details. For one, there was a reward out for any information leading to the arrest of someone for Carla and Vicki's murder. This reward, put up by Stewart County, has also been supplemented by the mayor and family of the girls to $15,000 truly showing how much solving this case is important to the entire community. And also, Amelia, in another article, it states, attendees at the 36th anniversary vigil were told that a spokesperson from the office of the Tennessee Governor Bill Haslam had recently said the governor was still considering a request to increase the reward for information on the case from $5,000 to at least $50,000. In August, Governor Haslam authorized a $5,000 reward for information that would lead to an arrest and conviction in the murders. Citizens and family members, with the endorsement of the 23rd Judicial District Attorney Ray Crouch Jr., State Senator Mark Green, and State Representative Tim Wargal, have asked the governor to increase the reward to $50,000 as this was the amount authorized by the state in the Holly Bobo murder case. Amelia, this last article about the reward from 2016, which shows how District Attorney Ray Crouch Jr. continues to fight for justice in this case. We are hopeful that with all the latest technology and engaged law enforcement, that a conclusion to this case is imminent. Yeah, these articles were all given to us by Danny Peppers and the Standard Standard newspaper out of Stewart County. So thank you, Danny, for sending us these articles. These are articles we were not privy to um, as we could not find them online. So thank you for that, Danny. Um, Yep, and we apologize for having a delay in recording. Obviously, with everything going on, we've had to, uh, to deal with some personal matters while, uh, while we were addressing the coronavirus situation. But 
I will say we do have quite a bit of information that we are excited to bring to you in upcoming episodes. And I would like to make a personal apology to all mice around the world and Stuart Little for calling you a murderer in my last interview with Christian Barth. I did not mean I did not mean to call mice murderers. Samuel Little is the serial killer, and I did not mean to offend anyone. I seriously caught heat about that, Lainey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Amelia. <laughs> Who knew so many people were playing such close attention? Anyway, my deepest apologies to Stuart Little. Anyone with any information, please call 1-800-TBI-FIND. That's 1-800-TBI-F-I-N-D. You never know how important your information could be.